Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. An official selection of the 2022 Tribeca Film Festival, Endangered chronicles a year in the life of four journalists living in three democratic countries, Mexico, Brazil, and the United States, where freedom of the press has historically been considered a given, is now in a state of rapid decline. The film tracks Patricia, Carl, Schenka, and Oliver as they face harrowing circumstances more likely to be encountered in a war zone or an autocratic state than in a functional democracy. The film is called Endangered, and the co-directors of the film, Rachel Grady and Heidi Ewing, are bringing their work to uh, HBO. It's currently running on HBO, so you should be looking for it. It's called Endangered, and we're joined today by one of the co-directors, Rachel Grady. Rachel, welcome back to Film School Radio. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you back. Uh, your work uh, is just so outstanding on so many different levels, so many films, Jesus Camp, The Boys of Baraka, 12th in Delaware, Detropia, and so many others. And this is another one. It takes something that we here in the United States have taken for granted for, for a long, long time, freedom of the press, the ability of the press to tell the truth, especially when it's telling truth to power. It, it is the vehicle by which democracy has an opportunity to thrive. Tell us a little bit about how this got going for you and for, for Heidi. We were actually approached by Ronan Farrow, who has started making films for HBO, where we have also made several films for them. He wanted to collaborate, and we just started brainstorming on things where we could sort of overlap interests that we both had. We kept coming back to this growing resentment, distrust of the press that was happening in the United States. And we're all very interested in the patterns that we were seeing around the world. It was very organic. And we just all wanted to tell this story. How to do it was what we had to hash out. We kind of got together with the CPJ, Committee to Protect Journalists, who are watchdogs. And they look out for journalists around the world that are getting their work silenced. So they were a glue for the story. And from there, we started focusing on exclusively democracies that were having a decline of freedom of speech and of a free press. And it's not just that. It is also the endangerment of journalists doing their work. It is the vilification of journalists doing their work. This is something that is feels a bit like a playbook that we are seeing play out in many countries around the world and here in the United States. I want to point out to our listeners, as you well know, uh, Rachel, you know, the press is the only business identified in the Constitution. It's the only, I guess, I think biz called a business is a, is a fair way to put it, but it is the one thing in, our, in the founding father's opinion to make sure that that was protected above all else. It underpins the entire democratic system. There's only a few, right? There's only a few pillars that I think are you, you can't argue with. One yeah. is a fair and free press, independent yeah. press, and the other is free and fair elections. Exactly. And the peaceful transference of power. Correct. <laughs> and all three of those are in question, are getting kicked in the teeth right now. 
and they're all absolutely connected to each other. I'm going to say something that I don't mean it for it to sound inevitable, even though I may say it in such a way that it, it may sound that way. But it feels like what you identify an endangered here in the United States, Brazil and Mexico, but certainly here in the United States, is a whole bunch of pieces that are becoming clearer as to the intent to push America towards an authoritarian state. They're there. We can see the at least the fuzzy outlines of what those what those forces are about and what they are trying to accomplish. And again, this is not an inevitability. We have the, the we have the the intelligence, we have the will, we have the institutions to hold strong. And but if we don't support them in meaningful ways, these forces will become inevitable. Am I am I am I being too too strong? I, I I don't think so. No, I mean, listen, we talk about democracy as like a thing, but democracy is just is just people. So it's, it's what we say it know, is in a lot of ways. I mean, it is. We yeah. the, the the success and the failure weighs just on human beings, not on a written piece of paper. It's all a contract. This is all a contract that we make with one another. So I I don't think I don't think you're exaggerating. I think that's the case for anywhere in the world. That democracy or this word or this government or the way that we treat each other is a construct that only humans can control. And I bring that into the conversation because there is not a functioning democracy in the world that doesn't have a vibrant free press with access to the information it needs to essentially hold people accountable. And that's that's the essence of it. And as I mentioned, you focus on uh, a number of uh, journalists, uh, as we mentioned, in Mexico and in Brazil and in the United States. And just to start with Mexico, um, one of the things that's been kind of a, a feature of Mexican life for many, many years, and something that's brought up in the film, is the violence that's being visited upon women in Mexico and the journalists who are about trying to find the people culpable. And and also the bigger question is why? Mm -hmm. Why the violence against women? Yeah. I think that it's very much a, you know, it's a patriarchal society. I think that there's a lot of violence here as well. I think that not on the scale of what's going on in Mexico in terms of like the femicide and what's happening and why they go on uninvestigated and why journalists are then sometimes murdered in order to silence them from covering this stuff goes to some of the deep corruption that's going on there across the board. But I think probably at the heart of, you know, that particular sort of massacre is is just good old fashioned, you know, chauvinism, not caring or putting the resources towards cracking these cases. And then when the journalists make us think about it, they are also silenced. Let's talk about uh, Sashenka and her work. She uh, Let's describe her and what she does. She is a photojournalist. She works for an organization called EFE, which is essentially like the Associated Press of Latin America. So she takes pictures and then they are spread throughout Latin America, including um, all, you know, all Spanish speaking countries. So also in Spain, she covers what's going on in Mexico that is then shared out throughout the world. And she is extremely brave. Yes. She is very, very punk rock. 
She's got purple hair and she is fearless and goes into places that everyone's running away from. She's running into. And I think she really represents sort of the new generation and in young blood as a reporter. She was incredible to follow as a filmmaker throughout COVID. She was out on the streets every day. She's amazing. And what is particularly remarkable for me just to watch her work and, and, and who she is, is working in a field where, where, as you mentioned, reporters are targeted. She has this purple hair. She's so easily identifiable. It's not as if you, you know, she's really putting herself out there in terms of what she does. Oh my God, that is such a good point. I had never looked at it from that perspective. For us, the perspective was, um, yes, when you're filming someone and they have purple hair, it's great because then you know where they are in the frame all the time. But um, it's true as a target, it's probably um, extra risky. But I think that she's just, I, I honestly think she's super brave and she doesn't want people to dictate what she looks like or how she works, you know, how she is in the world. So that is actually an excellent question to ask her. And I'm going to ask her the next time I see her. Okay. And um, the one that I found fascinating, because I don't know much about Brazil and its democracy. I know the the big picture the, the of Bolsonaro and his abuse of the environment and his tendencies towards authoritarianism and just the outrageous behavior. But I didn't know about Patricia Campos Mayo. Okay. Just in terms of the kind of, I'll say it, I have to say it, the Trumpian way that he goes after her in the most egregious and and sleazy sort of language and so nakedly chauvinistic. What's that? I said disgusting. Disgusting. Yeah. Uh, And to watch her reaction to what she does and how she goes about it. All of these journalists, uh, the word you have to use is fearless, knowing the odds, knowing what they're up against, knowing the forces that they are pissing off. It's Mm -hmm. pretty fearless what they do. But she, for for me, has really kind of struck a chord with me in terms of what she's doing. Uh, She's amazing. She's amazing. Um, Essentially, she started um, historically was did foreign policy, but she did a couple of big investigative pieces on Bolsonaro when he was initially running for president. Then she uncovered a lot of things uh, that focused on his corruption and on his manipulation of social media, etc. And he did not take kindly to that. He went after her personally and started essentially saying that the reason, you know, that that she made it all up, that she was a liar, that it was fake news, and that she would sell her body or she would exchange sex for information about him. So obviously undermining her, demeaning her, it's the oldest trick in the book. It couldn't be more transparent. And instead of being quiet and stopping her investigation, she doubled down on it. And then eventually she sues him for slander, essentially. You know, she she does end up winning against him, which is an incredible feat for one person, one small person to see the president win. It has not happened here in the United States yet. She is brave and brilliant. And also, I think something that they all have in common is the more that they're antagonized, the more they dig in. So that's just a personality trait, right? I think that being a beat reporter kind of is a calling certain type of person and to be 
harass and have the dogs kind of stick on them and for them to, you know, have that energize them in a way is another character trait on top of that. So yeah. she has that trait and it made her adamant that she wasn't going to stop doing it because obviously if he was reacting this way, there was just more to find. You focus also on two reporters here whose beat is the United States. And since I'm doing so badly on, on their names now, um, those two are... Carl Juice And Oliver. And it's Lachlan. 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 We inevitably get into the part of the story that, well, at least with Oliver, that has to do with the Trump campaign, the Trump presidency. With Carl, it's is more about, uh, it's in, ingrained in his family, in his community. It is a calling that and a calling that he wants to pass along to his son. And that's a beautiful story. And it should be the story of America in so many ways. It is. It's a very American story, and it should be more of an American story than it is because, mm-hmm. because newspapers are in, in decline and, and they're, they're threatened. Yeah, we, we, need, we definitely need a new generation of people that have this kind of energy. So um, Oliver works for The Guardian, which is a, a British newspaper, and he had in 2020 had the, the Trump beat and he basically zigzagged across America as Trump campaigned for the for the election that was in that, you know, which was that November. He really, I mean, he went into the belly of the beast in terms of a population that had been told for four years that people like Oliver were they were liars, they were trying to set them up, that they were trying to manipulate them. And by the time Ollie kind of got on the scene. These were people that were did not trust him and thought that he only had bad intentions. So he faced a lot of hostility. Yeah. Um, and on top of it, he was dealing with a population that had a lot of problems wearing masks. And it was sort of the height of COVID. And there was a lot of confrontations over why was he wearing a mask? And it was just a conversation that he had to keep having, even though that was only four months into the pandemic. And there was it was people were dying and were really sick and there was no vaccine. Carl is a, a beat photojournalist in Miami. The Miami Herald is an incredible newspaper. It's the biggest regional paper in the country. It's won Pulitzer's and it's very renowned. It is a local paper and we were really interested in focusing on a community newspaper rather, you know, as opposed to like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, which are really national papers. He's been on the beat taking photographs for the Miami Herald for over 30 years. He knows everybody. So it was just, just an incredible way to see a city and to, to be part of a city is through someone that has been sort of on the ground with, with the population, with the citizens of this place for decades. And we really saw what the summer of 2020 looked like on the ground from the point of view of, of a reporter through him. I know we don't have enough time. This is a big question I'm going to ask you, but it's something that I think is addressed in 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 your film, Endangered, about journalism, about the work that it, they do. But we have, over the last few years, seen a kind of weaponization of misinformation on a scale the likes of which we have, I don't think, in the history of of civilization have had to deal with it on this scale and on front, coming from this many different directions. And we have here in the United States a, a media conglomerate that's that is dedicated to fogging up every issue imaginable towards a particular agenda. 
And it's no, I don't think it's an accident that in the countries where Fox News is most predominant, all of those countries have have suffered through some very severe democratic crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Great Britain, mm-hmm. Australia, and the United States. I don't know what to do about it. It's a big, it's a big issue. It's a big, it's a big thing. But this is part of what these what these journalists are dealing with. They walk into this wall of in, misinformation, and in order to try and get to something that's more uh, more accurate and more and and more valuable. Yeah, I don't know. It is a huge question of, you know, basically social media that at least in the United States, we're just going to focus on the United States because it is, that is, this is a global problem, but with the sort of hollowing out of traditional fact-based reporting, dry reporting, that's just reporting the facts on the ground with that crumbling and the rise of social media and yeah. people conflating opinion and conspiracy to fact, we have a witch's brew. Yeah, we do. We do. It's a big question for another time. I hope when, when you come back on, you as well as Heidi will have an opportunity to uh, to talk about it. But this is wonderful. The film, again, is called Endangered. It is currently running on HBO. You can check it out. Rachel Grady. Thank you so very much for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music